Hello, this is Dare to Try, a podcast from Tata about entrepreneurs that have the courage and grit to pursue their ideas. I'm Ruth Barnes. In this episode, we talk to Karim Dahali, who founded the Investor app. Karim likes to joke that he spent most of his career at banks that have either gone bust, almost gone bust, or should have gone bust. His career has taken him from director at J.P. Morgan, managing director at Merrill Lynch, and most recently Deutsche Bank, which he left in October 2012 to found the Investor app, setting out to disrupt the finance industry. Kirim is passionate about opening up the financial markets to you and me, that they should no longer feel like the playground for the rich. The app is all about debunking the myth that playing the financial markets takes expertise. Kirim says it's like learning to play a musical instrument. The app aims to provide high-quality information on trading and markets to build a like-minded community of people new to investing and to teach them how to make money. Investor provides information that was previously only available to users of expensive subscription services. Listen to Karim. Trust me, after this, you'll be a convert. Welcome to Dare to Try, Karim. Thank you very much for having me. So when did you have the light bulb moment for creating this? I guess it's a disruptor, isn't it, this app? I guess, I mean, I'd like to think there was a light bulb moment, but it's probably been building over about a 30-year career in, in the industry. So it's, um, it, it, there probably wasn't a moment as such, but I, it, it coalesced into an idea in about 2011. And I realized at the time that the, the industry had kind of lost its way. It was far too disconnected from the normal consumer and the normal saver. And at the same time that that was happening, there was this tremendous technology called social media, which we could actually use to reconnect the process of saving, investing, and the ordinary consumer. And my belief is that financial markets are actually, they're not about maths, they're not about complicated things, they're about people, they're about the interactions between people. And I realized that social media is a technology that was actually purpose-made for financial markets and getting people together to exchange views. And that's really where the idea started. That's incredible. I think that's probably the financial industry's best-kept secret, that it's about people and not just about numbers. You know, it's what we like to think is that we're all born as natural investors. You know, we're born with the ability of understanding up and down and the human emotions that drive financial markets. We invest every single day of our lives. We invest our time. We invest our energy. And occasionally we invest our money. And each time we cross the road, we're making a calculated risk reward decision. And some of us have different risk preferences. Some of us will wait until the road is completely clear and there's no traffic, so there's no risk at all. And some of us will walk in front of moving traffic because we have a certain risk appetite. And to me, we're born with all of these natural abilities to be investors. It doesn't mean that we're automatically an investor. The other belief that we have is that we can unlock that natural ability in exactly the same way that we learn to play a sport or a musical instrument. So I'm not particularly musical. I did a little bit of sport at school and university. And when you play a sport, you've really got to do three things. You've got to get fit, you've got to practice your skills, and then you've got to go out and perform or compete against other people. And so investing to me is exactly the same process. You've got to get fit, you've got to practice, and then you've got to perform or compete. Now, getting financially fit rather than athletically fit involves three things. You've got to understand what's going on in the world because actually everything that takes place in the world 
impacts the financial market. So the more you know, the more attuned you are to what's going on in the world. The second thing you need to do is you need to follow the markets because you need to understand how the markets react in in relation to what's going on in the world. And the third thing that you need to do is you need to talk to people to understand why the markets moved in the way they did. Because sometimes you get a good piece of news and the market will go down or you get a bad piece of news and the market will go up. It won't always behave the way that it's meant to behave. And you really need to have that personal interaction to understand what were people expecting before and what's made them change their mind and why have they behaved in a certain way or acted in a certain way. You're talking about confidence as well, aren't you, really? Very and much. it's interesting that your app has come after the dreaded noughties and the financial crash, because I think a lot yeah. of people are terrified of the financial markets, especially if they're not someone who has practiced and, right. you know, had a go and has a clue. I think we are, in fact, the, the every man or woman is made to think like we know nothing. And actually, there are people out there who'd rather keep us in that state rather than someone like you who's like, here, have a nap, have a go. Come on, it's fun. Yeah, well, look, it's very self-serving for the financial services industry to say that people can't do it and leave it to the experts. And you're right, what we've seen from the financial crisis onwards, and even frankly before the financial crisis, that just made it obvious, is that there are no experts. And in fact, the experts have done a pretty poor job. They've done a pretty poor job both of managing the financial system. We almost went to the brink of economic and social ruin 10 years ago. And they've actually done a very poor job managing investments and managing returns. And just to put it in perspective, we have a community of tens of thousands of users now in about 185 countries around the world. And our community, and they're, they're all, they're mainly millennials, 77% of them are under the age of 35. And that community has generated a, a virtual return of 12.1% per annum with a relatively low volatility. So our community of relatively underinformed people, although they are using investors, so they're much better informed than they ever were before are outperforming the best minds in the world, the professional hedge fund managers, by a factor of three to one. So it just demonstrates that ordinary people can invest and can be good at investing and can do a much better job than the so-called experts. And we've seen study after study which shows that the experts actually tend to underperform the markets. They don't hit their benchmarks. And when you take into account the fees, the high fees that are charged for managing money, then the returns are, are are not that great at all for the ordinary saver. Let's look at the actual product. Of um, course. How did you ensure that you were going to make investors stand out, that it was unique, innovative, apart from removing all the vowels? <laughs> we, we left one vowel in just to confuse people. <laughs> if we'd removed all of them, that would have been, might, might have been easier. <laughs> That's right. But, um, you know, what we looked at is we tried to look at what is it that people like to do and also what is it that we need to deliver? What's the service and the experience that we need to deliver to turn people into being a good investor? And the good fortune is that those two things coincide. And we're a mobile app and we're a global mobile app. And I think that's very important. We took a very conscious decision to be mobile first. And so we're we're available on mobile phones and tablets, but we're not available yet on, on a desktop. And that was a very deliberate decision. And it was something we decided you know, quite a few years ago, and maybe it wasn't as totally obvious as it is today. But when you look at what it is that people do on their phones, they really do, I think, four things. They chat to each other, all the social network and the messaging apps. They like to play games. Gaming is a very large part of mobile phones. If you're on the tube and you, you look at people playing all the different games on the tube while, you know, to, to while away time, they like to 
read content. So they're reading news or other bits of content, and there's an increasing variety of content. And then they also occasionally like to buy and sell things. And so that's the experience that we all use our phones for. And I'm sure there are some other things that I've left out, but I mean, those four things are pretty important in terms of what people enjoy doing. So we thought, let's create something with all of those same feature sets so that people will enjoy the experience. Because as you said, you know, that, there's that confidence issue. So if you can present the investing experience in a way that's familiar and people are comfortable with, then we're over you know, half of the hurdle of getting people to invest and have the confidence to invest. And so the feature set that we've built which is unique, having all of these things in one place, not just in financial services, but I think in any industry, is unique on investors. So we have, we have games so people can play the markets. We have a huge amount of content so people can learn about investing. We have a full social feature set, including a social feed and chat and you know, one-on-one chat and group chat so people can share their experiences. And then we have the buying and selling ability so people can actually invest. As we say, the experience is play, learn, share, invest. Two unique things about Investor, one is that you have all of those experiences in one place on one app on your phone. And the second important part is this ability to invest and not just to invest to buy and sell shares, but to buy and sell fractions of shares. So if you look at the big technology stocks that are so popular, particularly with millennials, a lot of these stocks, Apple is trading at about $150 a share. Amazon is trading at almost $1,000 a share, Alphabet the same. And so for a vast majority of people, putting $1,000 into a single share is not practical. And what we say to people is actually you only need to invest a dollar, one dollar. I mean, it may not be the most efficient thing to do to invest a dollar, but you can start with a dollar and you can invest as little or as much as you want. If you've got a million pounds, well done. You can invest a million pounds as well. But it's really important to get people on the ladder and to make it as accessible as possible. So we say that anyone who's got a phone, any, a smartphone anywhere in the world and has got a dollar can become an investor. And I think that's a really important starting point. Well, you're talking now with with a fair bit of hindsight. You know, it's 2017, you started in 2012. Yes. And as you said, at a time when it wasn't the most obvious thing to say, we're just going to be mobile. Yes. How easy or difficult to sell was it to your peers, to people around you, to get them on board with Invested? Did people think you were mad or were everyone like, that's obvious, you're a genius, let's do it? I think you get a very mixed reaction. There are some people who say, that's a fantastic idea, go for it, and very supportive. And then obviously we're challenging a lot of assumptions about the way that people behave and the way that financial services are meant to operate. And we naturally get resistance. And I've had conversations very, very recently still with people who say, you know, we shouldn't be letting ordinary consumers manage their own money. It's the wrong thing to do. They're going to lose money. It's bad for them. And I think this very, you know, paternalistic is probably the kindest way of putting it. This very paternalistic attitude is misguided. I mean, at one level, it's selfishly misguided because people want to carry on earning these high fees that they've been charging for so long. But I think even if it's not driven by purely selfish, greedy motives, I think it's misguided in a very practical sense. Because from the moment we're born, it's all about us learning to do things for ourselves. We naturally want to do things for ourselves, whether it's learning you know, to crawl or or walk or eat or get dressed or go to bed or do homework, all these things, our whole evolution, our progression as an individual is to do things for ourselves. It's naturally built into us that we want to do things for ourselves. You know, people say that a lot of stress derives from not being in control, from having other people in control and not being able to dictate your own 
destiny. I mean, democracy may not produce better outcomes, but we feel better as a result of being democratic and having the vote. And in a sense, I think everyone should have a financial vote in their own financial future. And I think that's really important. The other thing that I've always found in my career is that when you get people together, like-minded people together, and they're able to share opinions and to collaborate in an effective way, then actually you can produce a far better outcome than any individual can produce on their own. I think there's this tremendous value in the wisdom of crowds, in in positive collaboration, that we can produce far better outcomes for the people involved. And if we can get people together and inform people, then everything else being equal, the uncertainty in the financial marketplace will go down. We need to create a culture now, given that we have this ridiculous amount of debt and given that we're facing these existential problems, I would say both in a financial sense and also in an environmental sense, we need to do everything that we can to boost the level of investment in particular in in those things that are going to help save us in the future. I'm going to stop here so we can hear from someone with some invaluable advice about spotting opportunities where many miss them. Hello, I'm Matthew Sykes, and I'm the head of digital content and technologies at Tata Communications. And I want to talk briefly about why digitalization is so important to today's entrepreneurs. The concept of digitalization, the process whereby hard copies of data, whatever that data may represent, is converted into digital bits, bytes, and binary numbers, is perhaps totally strange to many aspiring entrepreneurs, developers, and creators today. Of course, that's because those starting out have a tremendous advantage over their analog antecedents. Digitalization isn't a luxury anymore. It's a fact. It was perhaps five years ago that we passed the point of no return in taking our lives, our behaviors, and our business online. Entrepreneurs know that if you aren't online, you don't exist. That's why whether it's marketing, customer support, or even taking care of your finances, entrepreneurs have to think digital first. Their consumers and investors certainly are. Now, it's also true that digitalization offers entrepreneurs a massive opportunity. Businesses transitioning from legacy systems and legacy technologies are increasingly looking at APIs, SDKs, chatbots, and innovations within the realms of IoT and automation as the answer to the problems they face in keeping pace with those companies we might call natively digital. Understanding that, I feel, is essential for today's entrepreneur and might well help them find their million-dollar idea. Karim, at what stage did you feel that people were starting to buy into what Investor was offering that went beyond people downloading and installing and signing up to your app? When did it start to go that bit further? So the interesting thing is we launched this version of the app last June, and it was just before the Brexit referendum. And people started actively buying and selling securities on Investor in a virtual sense with the virtual portfolios that we provided. And a little bit before the referendum, there was a lot of optimism about the markets and people tended to be buying rather than selling. And just before the referendum happened on the 23rd of June, I think it was, the sentiment in our community shifted completely and turned negative and caught the collapse in the markets perfectly because we had a little bit of a scare after that vote. And then the sentiment a week after the vote turned around and went positive and people have stayed long the market ever since. And so I'd always known it 
theoretically that when you get people together, and there have been so many experiments done about this, you know, the CIA conducted this famous experiment called the Good Judgment Day Project back in 2011, where they literally recruited, I think, a few thousand people through the internet, and they posed them exactly the same questions that they were posing to their own internal analysts. And they had a separate government body audit the results. And that government body found that these strangers, these non-experts, were outperforming the CIA analysts by 30%. And so I knew it academically that it was possible. And then to see it in real life, I thought was a complete validation. And since that point, you know, the numbers have borne out that belief. So I'm now even more convinced that we can make a real difference. We can make a real difference to individuals and to our community and to society more broadly by educating and informing people and giving people the ability to make decisions. Because I think at the end of the day, we're much more capable of making the right decisions for society if we all contribute to that decision-making process. Obviously, we need to be informed. We don't want uninformed people doing that, and we need to be interested. And that's where the gamification helps to get people interested, and that's where the content that we have on the Investor app helps to inform people at the same time. But it's wonderful to see it playing out in practice. Who needs experts? Who needs who needs experts? Well, the experts need themselves. But I mean, who? yeah, really, who does need experts? I think the age of the expert is, is finished, frankly. Financial services is probably the industry where there is the biggest deficit of trust in the established providers. We will trust a complete stranger before we trust an expert these days. Why is that? Because the complete strangers who are in a similar position to ourselves are going to be objective. They're not trying to sell us anything. They're actually trying to share the benefit of their experiences with us. We're naturally, you know, sharing people. We like to share experiences and we like to help other people as well. I think that's in our DNA. That's probably why we've survived for the few thousand years that we've that we have survived. And so I think what we find is that people like to trust other people's opinions, even people who don't have so-called expertise in a particular subject matter. They will trust other people's opinions over the expert. And the role of, I think, of so-called experts is to help moderate those discussions and create the platforms, as we're trying to do at Investor, to bring people together so that those conversations can happen in a meaningful way without telling people what to do. Was there someone in particular who you turned to for guidance or inspiration when you were deciding to chuck it all in and start up Investor? I was very lucky. I have a co-founding investor who's been very, very supportive throughout uh, the last five years. And I'm also very, very lucky that very early on, I teamed up with a fantastic day-to-day business partner and technologist. Uh, I'm not a technologist by background. I think I've learned a fair amount over the last five years. But to have someone you know, working very closely with me who understands technology intimately and what we can do and what we can't do and at what cost, I think that's been really, really valuable. So people say it's about the team. And at the end of the day, when you start with a blank piece of paper, and maybe if you're lucky, a little bit of money to get the idea going, it's really the rest of it is all about the people that you're able to attract. And the people are going to work with you and help you fulfill that vision and that mission. And so I've been very, very lucky in in the people that I've got and the people that we have on the investor team. You have this incredibly strong background, you know, to make the investor app everything that that you, you hoped it could be. But I guess you would have needed to tap into the startup culture. Was there anything happening in, in 2011, 2012 that you tapped into in particular? And what was it that helped you that you thought, oh, thank goodness we spoke to those guys because that was useful advice? 
I wish I'd done more of it, to be honest. And I read the books about lean startups and, and all, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think we thought we were being lean and we were being agile in the way that we were, were running the business. And I'd say in hindsight, we probably weren't at all. And we, you know, <laughs> we've made so many mistakes along the way. And that's been, frankly, the interesting part of the journey is making those mistakes and learning. And I think you can read the books and you can understand all of that intellectually and then kind of at some level fail to implement it. And so, <laughs> you know, we've learned a lot and I think we've come a lot closer to being a startup in that sense. But I think the advantage that we had was being reasonably well-funded uh, from the beginning. And the disadvantage that we had was being reasonably well-funded from the beginning, because I think you do tend to make mistakes. Scarcity fosters creativity. And we weren't as tightly funded as some startups are. And so maybe we weren't, you know, we didn't have quite the rigor and quite the discipline. And so that's been a tremendous, you know, learning experience. And so, yes, there are a lot of lessons that we could have learned, or there are a lot of lessons we could have implemented, even though we, we kind of understood them. We probably could have implemented them better. Was there ever a moment where you thought it was all going to fall apart? Never. No, never. I think the wonderful thing today is there is so much opportunity in the world. You know, we've gone from a world in which relatively few institutions had information, whether it was governments or political parties or religions or universities or businesses um, or banks. And we've gone to a world today in which everyone has information and information is power. And that means that everything is up for grabs. So there's this tremendous opportunity that we have. And, and the technology that's come out means that anyone who's got a good idea has the ability. It's far cheaper and quicker for someone to go and try out that, that idea than was certainly possible in the past. I would say you have to Believe in what you're doing, though. Out of all the things, that, all the opportunities that are out there, choose the one that you really believe in and you're really passionate about because that's the thing that's going to get you through the ups and the downs, and there are lots of downs, as you've alluded to. At the end of the day, I have zero doubt that what we're doing is important and it can make a huge difference, and it's the way of the world. This is where the biggest opportunity is in, in the financial services space, empowering people to take charge of their financial future. I'm a total believer in it. What was the kind of simplest discovery that you've made along the way? It's all about the user, and you have to put the user first and foremost. Actually, we, we created a gender-neutral name. We call our user a Charlie because a Charlie can be both a boy and a girl. And so we came up with the stereotype Charlie Curious, and Charlie is someone who is interested in learning more, doesn't necessarily know a lot about the financial markets, but is curious enough to want to learn more. And that's really our ideal. That's the person that we're targeting. But even when you do all of that, you can never do it thoroughly enough. You've really got to get inside the skin of Charlie and think, really, what are their issues and what are their problems and how are you going to make their lives better or easier. At the end of the day, it's all about addressing the needs of individuals in a way that is both aesthetically pleasing, but also functionally valuable to them so they can understand the value. And obviously it goes without saying that it, the technology works, works in a way because we just expect things to work and to be totally reliable because the, the standards are so high these days. 35 years you've, you've been in business, <laughs> you've been yeah. working. Going back to 35 years ago and bringing yourself up to today, what's the one thing that stayed the same, either for you personally or within the, the finance world? Uh, learning. You know, I've been really fortunate in those 35 years, I've done so many different things. I mean, I've lived in Japan, in Singapore, several times in the States, in the Middle East, obviously here in London is the majority of it. 
And I've had so many different roles and experiences, and I've dealt with everyone from presidents and prime ministers down in lots of different countries. It's been such a fascinating experience. I've been very fortunate to have had that diversity of experience. But the thing that I've enjoyed the most is learning, because I've had new challenges every few years, and it's really learning. And I think, you know, as long as we're learning, we're alive. And, you know, two of the biggest lessons I've learned are how individuals can achieve so much on their own. And the second philosophy, and it's not, it, it might appear to be paradoxical, but to me it's completely aligned, is this idea about collaboration. We want to help people be the best that they can be. And part of the way of doing that is to help them collaborate with other people, because I know that together we're far stronger. Well, Corinne, thank you for coming on Dare to Try. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Dare to Try is a Tata production. To learn more about how Tata supports innovation and entrepreneurs, follow us on Twitter at Tata Europe.